Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guest is Wayne Fetterman. He's been recording stand-up comedy sets in clubs across America for more than 40 years now, since starting out in New York City in the early 1980s. He's also a classically trained actor, studying in college straight from Stella Adler. No wonder, then, he has so many TV and film credits that he's instantly recognizable, even if you don't know which credit to cite first, among them playing Wayne Fetterman on The X-Files, dueling with Curb Your Enthusiasm's Larry David, and most recently gambling with Kenny Rogers in a long-running TV commercial. But he tried breaking through first as a teenage ventriloquist, then in his 20s as an electric ukulele act. We talk about that, his years helping launch Jimmy Fallon back into late-night stardom, and his own new three-disc set of greatest hits, The Chronicles of Fetterman. So let's get to it! Wayne Fetterman, thank you so much for joining me on Last Things First. That's the name of this? Yeah. Last Things First. Yes. Okay. So, Last Things First. Do uh, it. We just watched the Parallax View. Yes, we did. Screened by Larry Wilmore as part of the Wayne Fetterman International Film Festival, New York edition. As part of the New, New York, York Comedy Festival. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a lot of, it's a festival in a festival. <laughs> Have you ever heard of such a thing? That seems like a very Wayne Fetterman thing. Yes, it is. To have a comedy within a comedy. Yeah. So we've been doing it in L.A., as you know, when for was four the, years. When was the... How did it start? When was the I'll first... I'll tell you exactly how it started. Um, I had this idea that I love movies. Like, I love... Oh, I'll tell you exactly how it started. <laughs> no, no, no. Before that, the actual... What is it? The moment? The epiphany? Is there another word for it? Uh, maybe not. Um, right. I went Definitely. to the New Beverly Cinema to mm-hmm. see a movie called, it's either called The Fist Foot Way or The Foot Fist Way. Oh, right, with um, Danny Ken- McBride. I want to say Kenny Powers, but no, no Danny yes, McBride. Yes, Danny McBride's movie that he did and that Adam McKay saw and right. they re-edited it and put a new soundtrack on. So it's uh, so I went to see the movie. Lo and behold, Patton Oswalt comes out before the movie and starts talking about how much he loves this movie. And it's cracking wise because it's a crowd of people and it's a comedian. So they're going to be, it's going to be funny. I was like, wow, this is even better. And then afterwards, I don't think he did anything afterwards, but before he was just talking and people were kind of chiming in. And it was like, oh, I'm now enjoying this movie through the eyes of Patton Oswald. Right. Like, uh, and I was like, that's interesting because I've been to so many screenings in Los Angeles. It's like the writer and the director and how'd you get cast? And, uh, you know, and I love all of they're all informative, but they're all people that were involved with the production. This is somebody who had nothing to do with the movie. No agenda. No agenda other than I love this movie. I was like, ah, that's interesting. And because he was a comedian, if there's a crowd, guess what's going to happen? You're going to perform for the crowd. Yeah. Yeah, so. whether whether you plan to or not. Yeah, yeah, it's just in in the nature of a comedian. Like, there's a crowd; they're gonna be funny. So I was like, ah, this might be a fun weekend or a week, like little film festival. I so I went to Gary Shandling, and I told him the idea. He's like, I'm in. He goes, it's a dynamite idea. I don't know if he used the word dynamite. 
Probably not. <laughs> he says, don't, good quote, don't quote. I'm not Wayne quoting him. Quoting Gary. Yeah, dynamite. Um, <laughs> I'm an idiot. So uh, he said, I'll do it, and I know mm-hmm. what movie I want to do, like right off the bat. Okay. Because the, apparently the king of comedy really informed the Larry Sanders show. So, and that's, and once I got him, I was like, Shanley's like, what? I'm in. Like right. everyone's, everyone's been happy to do it. Now. And you learn so much about like, like for example, Bill Burr did the Dirty Dozen, the Robert Aldrich movie from 1967. Like he has a connection to that. So it's, it's sometimes it's not like even Janine's movie yesterday we did. The Hot Box. It's called The Hot Rock. Hot, <laughs> okay. thinking of a different movie. <laughs> this is some porno movie you're thinking about. She did The Hot Rock, but <laughs> she had a connection to that movie because her dad and her used to watch that movie. Okay. And he and were her parents and you know, and they laughed at it and so and she also had like kind of a crush on that guy Paul Sands and George Siegel. Mm. So, you know, it's a lot oh, of connections. Yeah. So they want to see it. And I just love seeing old movies on the big screen. Yeah. So But that, you haven't picked one yourself. No, I don't I only pick the comedians. <laughs> I only pick the comedians. If I were to do an offshoot and invite you to do Oh, I see. My festival. I love it. I love it. What would be the first film you would pick? Well, there's two that pop to mind. One is that's already been done mm-hmm. by Taylor Negron, who's okay. no longer l- with us, and that's Manhattan. Mm. I just adore every frame of that movie. Like that is my sweet spot comedy. If I if because we've already done it, I might do. There's a movie I don't even. I'm not even. Hope I get the name of it right. It's either Beneath the Valley of the Dolls or oh. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. It's a uh, it's a comedy rich, written by Roger Ebert, the famous film critic, right. and it's an insane movie, especially to see in front of an audience. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've only it's, watched part of it once, and it was on TV. It wasn't. You didn't like it. You couldn't. Well, connect. it wasn't with an audience, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm it's just like, so, oh yeah, this is the Roger Ebert movie. Yeah, it's so bizarre. And uh, Russ Meyer, you know, the famous B movie. Yeah, with the large. Endowed, endowed women. Yeah. That's the best way to describe it. And it's it's the most, I don't know. That would be like something I think would be a blast to screen. There you go. Well, Are you disappointed, John? I'll have, to, I'll have to get a venue and some dates. And I'll yeah, yeah. Do the offshoot. Yeah. Uh, how did How is the Chronicles of Fetterman Jess coming out on CD now? Jose just released it. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Guys, what's happening? Is this your first interview? What's going on? But you could have you could have put out an album in the eighties of yes, volume one. Yes. Yeah. You could have put out an album in the nineties no for question. volume two. No question. No question. Why hold on to it's, all of this material for Well, so it was to tell you the truth. <laughs> the honest truth is mm-hmm. not funny. No one ever asked me to put out a comedy album. Like the I, I at one point, I thought somebody was going to be, mm-hmm. oh, Comedy Central Records is just starting up. They'll probably, no, not interested. <laughs> not in- Warner Brothers, not interested. Sub Pop, they're doing comedy. No, not a word. Just so I was like, all right. And then a lot of comedians put out records by themselves. Right. I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. I just don't know what I And then I got this idea to kind of put my whole career up to this point on one three disc or as they call the kids call three volume cd so that's the whole deal now the the most interesting well there's multiple interesting things to me about this but one is the fact that you were recording 
your sets back in 1984 at mm-hmm. the strip. Yeah. What were you using to record? Great question. This is we're doing tech talk. Yes. With Wayne Fetterman. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a lot of it, a lot of it comes from VHS because okay. they installed a recording device in this, so comedians could have like a audition tape or a, you know a preview tape to send to bookers and things like that. So, um, so a lot of it's off VHS. Now I had to really work hard to clean up the audio off of that stuff because right. it's very low quality. But there was a couple mini cassettes. Uh, for the catch stuff, and then um, VHS, regular cassette, I think one DAT, um, and then just, uh, you know, for the last, for the final disc, it's mainly mm-hmm. just recorded off uh, iPhone using something on a roadie microphone. How long ha- had you been doing comedy by the time of that 84 set? That's a good question. That's a good question. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk I about it. I hope you say that after every one. No, no, this is no, right. This is what I mean. This is the one I mean. <laughs> no, this was the good question. Yeah, this was the good question. Well, what do you, I mean, I was doing ventriloquism in high school. Does that count? It does. My and band? I and I am I'm curious when you look at Jeff Dunham's career. Yes. Do you think oh, that could have been that me. That could have been me. Yeah. Um yeah, cuz we're basically the same age. Um I think he's a couple years younger than I am. I'm not as good a ventriloquist as Jeff Dunham. Jeff Dunham, in order to be a great ventriloquist, mm-hmm. you have to be able to say a B, a P, those those without moving your lips, or which is really hard to do. You're doing great at it right now. Well, now I'm moving my lips, but you can, <laughs> you know. People didn't know that until you said that. Yeah, yeah. A D, you know. I guess D is not that hard, but P and B are like really hard, mm-hmm. and he's he can do it. Like and I couldn't. I couldn't. So it was never a great ventriloquist. What attracted you did that first? What attracted you to ventriloquism? Well, obviously, because they get women. Right. You know, they're obvious. <laughs> it's a given. Well, you the, have a wingman. Yeah, of course. You have it's a wingman at all times. I mean, it's super sexy. Inside. Everyone knows the ventriloquists are constantly getting the action. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I might have. I tell you, I was into. I was a comedy. I'm a comedy nerd, like before the term comedy nerd came about, which, by the way, I would love to have you write an article on when that phrase came along. Oh. Because it's got to be 90s, right? Gotta be, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember it in the 80s. Anyone you were saying, just a nerd. No, I was not a nerd. Because no, but people didn't say comedy nerd. No one said comedy said, nerd. They just said you were a nerd. Or they didn't. I was not considered a nerd in high school. I was just uh I was a guy in drama club, and I could play sports a little by playing intramural sports. So it was not like, like a nerdy kid. With I was sort of a nerd, and you know, like that movie Revenge of the Nerds. Do you remember right. that? Um, like a guy with the glasses that it's broken and a pocket protector and all of that. That's what I considered. That was not me at all. One of my favorite movies in high school. Yeah. Was my best, I don't even know my what best high school. Fr- my best friend and I uh, loved quoting Real Genius. Yeah, yeah. Back and forth to each other, uh-huh. and that to me. As someone who did very well in school but wasn't very popular, mm-hmm. that movie spoke to me. He's like, "Oh, these are my people." Right, 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 right. And I was like, "Oh, well, see, they're making fun of that kid because he's the smart nerd." Yeah, yeah, nerdy yeah. Okay, guy. okay, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'd be curious, like, when that they worked. But anyway, I was a nut for comedy, and mm-hmm. I was really into because I'm a crazy person. Radio comedians, like from the 30s and 40s, 
Now, this was in the you know, 20 or 25 years after they're done. And one of them was this guy, Edgar Bergen, who had the greatest job on in show business, a ventriloquist on the radio. It's like a juggler on the radio. Like, his, I don't know how he got it. But Right, how do you do that on the radio? Who cares? Right, right. And his sidekick was Charlie McCarthy. Yes. N- no relation. <laughs> yes, no relation. <laughs> that was one of the <laughs> first famous McCarthys I learned of as really? a child. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and then there's Joe McCarthy. That's also a bad McCarthy. Right, right. To, so. I met a, a woman who dated Joe McCarthy once. Yeah. She was a McCarthy sympathizer. No, no, no. She was a, she was actually a Kennedy, believe it or not. Yeah, they were very close. The McCarthys and the Kennedy were super close. I know that you don't believe it, but it's well, I do. It's an Irish. Yes, yeah, Irish, Irish Catholic, anti-communist yeah. thing. Yeah, no question, no question. So, um, but you, I digress. But you so, were you were hearing so what was hearing, on the radio? And I was like, what? I was hearing Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. I was like, this is funny. I bet I could do like a version of this. Mm-hmm. And so I taught myself ventriloquism. I think I might have been too scared to do stand up at like a talent show or something. So I was like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I was like able to write like routines for it right away. And it's on the Chronicles of Fetterman as one of the bonuses. It's the bonus track at the end of uh, volume oh, you one. Did listen. You did listen. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start crying. I, I, this has been so emotional because I've never put out anything. So like that people at any on any level are listening to anything mm-hmm. is very profound to me. What did you... What did you think your career was going to be when you when you were starting out? Well, bigger, bigger than what this. <laughs> well, you have a you have spoiler alert when you get to volume three. The oh intro, my god, you listened to the whole thing. The intro on volume three, you you come to some sort of terms about <laughs> where you think your career has come. Well, Acceptance, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's but, always there's always a glimmer you, of a hope. There's always a glimmer of a hope. But I. Th- I love my I career. Could, I, right, I could introduce you to thousands of comedians who would die to have would my career. Die to yeah, have your no career. question, no question. And I, I, I know that. I know that on many levels. Don't get me wrong. Right. And you've known me for a while. Yeah. Do I seem like a bitter, like, oh, this didn't happen? Kind of. No, I'm very no. grateful for anything, anything that comes my way. So, so I'm, thr- you know, I'm thrilled. So when you were, honestly, when you s- wait, start- I just. I'm just double checking the time, all right? We're would you plenty of time. Plenty <laughs> when, you of time. Started with, when you started with ventriloquism, yes. What did you think was going to happen to uh, Wayne Fetterman, adult? Did you have a vision I, well, that yes, you were going to yes. be a ventriloquist? No, I had a vision that this was, I had a very specific plan. Okay. I was going to be a comedian, mm-hmm. not a ventriloquist. I was going to be a comedian who was a very strong actor. Okay. Like that was that was kind of the goal and the underneath force behind it all because there was a lot of comedians even when i was in high school that were bright young comedians jimmy walker and freddie prince to name two who were like oh i'm doing this and i'm already on a sitcom and then billy crystal was on a sitcom and it's like oh and then when you look back through the whole thing like bilko that's a comedian you know he did danny thomas is a comedian although not well i mean yeah he's a comedian kind of singer storyteller guy so it was like, this would be a great. So that was the that was the thing. But I wanted to be a super strong comedian who could act. And you were in Florida at the time. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. So, yes. so, so with this goal in mind, did you circle? Well, you. I mean, there wasn't the th- the thing that amazes me when I talk Uh-oh. to Go ahead. to comedians who aren't kids yeah. is I I rem- I'm reminded that when we became adults, we had to learn all of this stuff without googling it. 
Right. <laughs> so how did you decide, did you, how did you figure out, oh, New York, Stella Adler, that's the, that's the path? Well, I just knew NYU was the top, one of the top acting schools in the country. How did, that, how did that news get down to Florida? How did you know that? Well, it's, this is, you're really digging in. You're really digging in. It wasn't in. in the U.S. News and World Report it was rankings really of colleges. It was, they, they, well, at, see, at the time, I was kind of working up in Massachusetts. I got this job in New Hampshire being a singing waiter. Okay. And then moved down to Massachusetts, and there was an ad in the paper to audition for NYU Drama School. Ah. And I just knew, because there was a chance I was going to go to University of South Florida. No one knows this. Like, that was, and then I was just going to, I don't know. That was a potential path for That you. was a potential path. And then when I saw that ad, and it was like a week later, and I called NYU, yeah, this is interesting, <laughs> and I said, uh, what do you need to do? They go, you have to have two monologues. You have to have a, you know, a, a classical monologue mm -hmm. and a modern. You may do them both, or you may just do one, but you have to have two prepared. Okay. And I said, this was the key question. I said, can you do a an original piece for your modern. Mm. And she was like, yeah. I go, she goes, but, and then she goes, but if you haven't prepared anything by now, don't even bother auditioning. So I was like, all right, thank you, thank you, click. Like, so now I could write a piece. Mm -hmm. No one will know if I got it right or not because I'm writing it. Right, it's an original piece. <laughs> you can't get it wrong. Exactly. You can't mess up the lines. They, they'll have no idea. They don't know what the lines are. They'll have no idea. This is a, so one of your two monologues <laughs> is in the bag. One of my two monologues is in the bag. So I wrote this thing. I ended. They ended up just needing one monologue. I said, oh. "Can I do modern?" I did it. <laughs> and so you didn't have to memorize yes, anything. So I got into NYU that way. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, and I only went there two years. Okay. Even though on my resume it says I graduated. So what did you have to do to hook up with Adler? They they literally. Were there like, what program do you want to be in? And mm -hmm. I had no idea because it was Lee Strasberg was still teaching and he was the big, that was the name yeah. I knew. I didn't know. And then they explained him. Everyone knew about him. And mm -hmm. then there was something called Circle in the Square. I'd never heard of it. I mean, completely ignorant. Sounds fancy. Yeah. And then Experimental and then Stella Adler. And they go, Stella Adler taught Marlon Brando. I was like, that's all I needed. And also, people, good reference. I, I think people were more gravitating towards. Strasbourg. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I think I want, let me try Adler. And that's okay. how I got in. And she was still teaching. She was my teacher right from the day one for the two years I was there. What do you remember about that first class? Okay. I remember a lot about it. <laughs> remember we sat in a circle. Mm -hmm. We talked about before Stella came in, she had like an assistant. We talked about what we had done. Mm -hmm. And I was like funny, like made up a thing that I played a carrot in a play, which never happened. Do you know what I mean? Right. Just to kind of like be the funny guy. And then uh, we learned that you stand up when she walks in. You can't have coffee, water, anything with you. No snacks, nothing, mm -hmm. no cigarette, nothing. And then she, when she sits down, you sit down. You're quiet when she's there. And, and that's it. And then we, oh, we did this thing where we walked across the room pretending you were in uh, like a, as a king, as a peasant. And then we talked about how costumes inform the way you walk. It was very interesting. It was like it was pretty good. Like right from the start, we were like, "Oh, I get it. I get it." <laughs> and I, yeah, go ahead. I no, I, I, no. It's just looking back, yeah. looking back, Mr. McCarthy. Can I call you that? Please, please. <laughs> looking back, I swear, I'm like, I think it was a little wasted on me. 
I think it was he a didn't little realize I think it moment. was a little too young and I was like she's really into like Chekhov and Ibsen and all of these agit prop kind of like you know the theater should have these big ideas that inspire the masses and I was like I was into Neil Simon you know I was like it was just a little bit of a disconnect so um Looking back, I wish I had been a little taken a little more serious. I mean, I was serious, but mm. I was I was still a comedic. I wanted to be a comedic actor. I did. It wasn't interested to get a cab driver strike going because of performance I did. That's from a famous play. But. Well, around the time you were you were in school though was when the strike was happening in L.A. The comedy strike. Yes, I didn't know. I mean, I I don't I even mean, know if I knew about right, it. Right, because it's not like yeah, I was in news, New York. The I news was, of that wouldn't necessarily uh, filter. I don't know if I. That's a good question. Hit the wires. I, you know, I, I didn't hear about it because I remember when I first. I remember when the guy died. I remember when they, that story got to me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Steve Lubekin, Lubekin, Lubekin. Yeah. Jumped off the Hilton right next to the comedy store. That story to get to me, but I didn't know about the strike or why or anything like that. How how long before you started venturing out to clubs or open mics or? Well, even I started auditioning like right away mm-hmm. at the clubs, like just uh, and then I would go and watch as much as I could, and it took a long time. Like this was a real like it it was building. I wasn't the only one with this dream. You know, and it was really hard to get in, really took a lot of perseverance and took me till 1980. I, I, you know, I finished like up in like 80 and it was like two years of auditioning just to pass at the comic strip in 82. Was that Lucian who, who passed? Lucian. Yes, Lucian, yes, 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 he did. So it was really very difficult. So where were you performing for those two years? Well, there was a club called, I mean once a week you or once a month you get to audition a catch mm-hmm. or something like that um there was a place called who's on first there was a place called the paper moon there was a open pl- mic place called the triple in there's a why am i blanking on the name of this it was on third avenue can't think of it now it'll pop into my head later mm-hmm. but it was just all these you know kind of open micy places and a bunch of, i'd see the same people like running around and who was part of your your well, class, it was a little your crew. Well, it was a little bit. It was like different people would run in. There was mainly there was this guy, uh, Rob Ross and Barry Weintraub, where we're like kind of like Rob doesn't even do it anymore. As a matter of fact, interesting, he is now a therapist and he specializes in comedians, writers, and directors oh. in L.A. Like okay. as a thriving Beverly Hills off, you know. So vicariously. Yeah, yeah, he, he kind of he lives the roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, vicariously. Yeah, and uh, so we, it was that, but there was there was other people like Susie Essman was starting mm-hmm. out and stuff, and um, Patty Rossborough, and then I, it, it was just a very, I don't know, just a small little crew, and then eventually we broke through. It was hard. It was really hard. What what kind of jobs were you working to support yourself? Great, great question. <laughs> Not as good as the second one. Uh, <laughs> um, we'll I had the full a full ranking of questions. I had a end. number of jo- I had a number of jobs. Um, one of them, God, I was just thinking about this. I I don't know if I've ever talked about this. I would hand out. They would do s- test screenings of shows for CBS, mm-hmm. and you would get people off the street, and you would hand them a little card. And they would, go, and if they showed up, you would get the money. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. It was a commission kind of. Yes, bounty. it was a commission thing, and I was like, and I felt like it was kind of a show businessy dro- job. 
Right, you're in the business. Yeah. Involved yeah. in television. Yes. <laughs> so even though I'm freezing out on the street, right. Fifth Avenue, you want to see a TV show? So I did that. I did, um, I worked for a law firm, tempor- you know, temporary things. I did mm-hmm. worked in a law firm. But the biggest one I had and the last job I had, my last job, right. um, it probably ended in 1984, probably. Maybe earlier, maybe 83. Um, was I for the Otis Elevator Company as a service dispatcher for Midtown okay. East. What mm-hmm. kind of, what kind of? Uh, prerequisites were there for that job. Well, it was a temporary job. I was brought in to like they had some filing stuff they had mm-hmm. to do, and the guy was like, "You can answer the phone." So okay. I would answer oh, the phone. Oh, dispatch, right? You weren't yeah. actually I'd, servicing. The no, calls. no, no. Those were union jobs. Those right. were like really good jobs. So they would call me up and go, "Hey, our, our elevator is leveling." That was the main thing. It wouldn't like it would be like a couple inches not flush with the right. the so floor. Trip would trip or something like can you come out and fix like that was the main thing sometimes people would be stuck in it that would be the worst case scenario so yeah i did that and did uh, you ever talk to anybody who was stuck in an elevator no one but somebody at school once mm-hmm. called and there was kids stuck in an elevator and i did talk to one famous person who okay. had whose elevator was not working properly or making some noises between floors yes irving berlin oh wow yeah the songwriter. Yeah. God bless America. <laughs> Alexander's Ragtime Band. Uh, but he wasn't stuck in the elevator, it's just th- having problems with the elevator. No, he was having, because he lived in a townhouse. I guess he was getting older and had an mm-hmm. elevator installed, so he didn't oh, have to Oh, so walk. if it doesn't work, then he's... Yeah, he's stuck <laughs> writing songs or can't get downstairs. Yeah. or uh, So I talked to him. So that was cra- That was the craziest did phone talk, call of my life. Did you talk... Sh- what did, did you talk shop? Nope. No, no. <laughs> but I kept him on the line for a little bit. Yeah. You know, and I was like... He just sounded like a Jewish guy, you know. But this is Irving Berlin. I was like, okay, how can I help you? My elevator is making a weird noise as it's going up and not on the way down. Can you send a guy out? And that's when I learned, and I've said this before, the famous term expression you should use when you're in the service industry. When someone always asks, Mm -hmm. what time is the service crew going to get here? You know what you say? They'll be there shortly. Close. You never give a time. Never right. give a time. Because never. then you might be yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. Never give a time. You always, this is what I was taught. Mm-hmm. As soon as they can. Uh, as soon as they the can. The complete lie. The complete nothing. You're not even answering the question. They'll be there as soon as they can. We're sending them out right now. We're calling them right now. They're on their way. <laughs> the They're worst. They're on their way. The worst. <laughs> we can't say a half hour. You can't be responsible. No, Wayne, do not give a time. I learned that was corporate. That was what, Otis <laughs> Elevator. What, what they created the elevator, by the way. What were you doing uh, when you realized you could quit that job and any job that wasn't comedy? When I started doing colleges. That's how I first was able to get off. And I haven't, I haven't had a job since. I think that's it. I don't think I'm going to have a job since. Well, you've had, I mean, it's been... 30, yes, I know. 31 years. <laughs> well, you never know. It's like it's the so. The evidence is, is still coming in. Why the my evidence, friend Rob is doing the therapy. Is still coming in. Uh, yeah, but I've never been like on a sit. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. a regular, like that big thing where you're like, oh, I can buy a house now and like I'm all set. Like I'm never, qu- I'm like just near that. Like I'm in movies, right. I do things, but I've never been like, oh my God, he just. He's making $48,000 a week for, you know, 20 weeks for four seasons. You know, that never happened. When when did you realize that you were going to be 
the that guy instead. Not one guy in in <laughs> 50 episodes, but one, one guy in 50 different yeah. episodes. I don't know. I think it was after I think it was after I did the third Judd one. The okay. third of Judd's movies. I was like, oh, I get it. Um, and then I looked back and I was like, oh, I'm that in Legally Blonde. I'm in that in Step Brothers. Mm. I'm that. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I started calling it the Fetterman and out. Like, I'm in and then I'm gone. Did you start to use that to your advantage to get more work? No. No. I mean, I'm, t- I'm, always, I'm always hustling <laughs> getting work. I'm always, I mean, I guess there's a certain comfort now that I have that not, you know, when I auditioned right. that I assume I didn't have before. Just, the, oh. You didn't? Because people recognize me right. a little. They're like, oh, I know you from the, and in fact, right now I have a commercial running that a lot of people are recognizing me from. The one with Kenny Rogers? Yes. Yeah. You've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, that's phenomenal to me. That is like great. I, I like that I did it with them, and I like that, you know, all three of us got a shot at that final line. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't want to brag, but <laughs> what do you what do you think set your line reading apart? I'll tell you, <laughs> I went super subtle. Uh, Everyone else was like, "Yes, we understand," or "Yes, on right. yes, Kenny, we understand." And I just went, "Yeah, we get the gist." Like <laughs> as subtle as I could, and it's just like, and they wanted it. It was a very yeah. lucky, very lucky, very lucky. Well, that because both those guys are hilarious. One of the the other guy was mm-hmm. on uh, The Office, and you know the other guys in movies like those are. Actors, but you have to. Well, but for something like that, you need a uh, a knack for comedy. Thank you, thank you. you have to be a like comedy nerd. You like your complimenting you have to know. me. By comedy nerd, I didn't mean that. Like, I meant like I was into the history of comedians. Right, but also just knowing what's what makes something what, funny. What might be a nice turn. Right, yeah, that no it's question. funnier to be subtle. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Obvious to go. Thank you. Oh big. my God, you're understanding me. Love <laughs> it. I understand you, and yet I had never learned how to play a ukulele, acoustic, or electric. Right. I'm surprised that you didn't cash in on that, or was that? I tried was that to. A consci- you did. Try I tried it? to cash in on that. But that was your me. closer for a while. Wasn't that was. It? I wanted to do. I wanted to do that bit on Letterman so, so passionately, and I could never. They never wanted it. Mm. And I mean, it would. I mean, you'll hear if you listen to the Chronicles of Fetterman, it crushes. It cr- it can't go any better. Right. And they're like, we're not interested. I mean, well, people throughout time have loved musical comedians. Yeah. And stand-ups sometimes hate musical comedians yes, they for feel, that. Yeah. But, it, well, you know, Steve Martin was like kind of a bit of an influence on that. Okay. Because he did the band, that banjo yeah. bit for years. And I was like, no. And he had a hit with King Tut. So. Yes, he did. <laughs> but he was playing banjo for a long time. He's so fun. He's so great. I, was I guess I'm the first one to say he's great, but I'm going to say it. Steve Martin, great. <laughs> what about Jordan Brady? <laughs> Even better. Even better. Now, I I, I know. Of course. You, <laughs> you, you teamed up with him for his documentary, uh, I Am Road Comic. Yes. Where you went on the road. But you had been... On the road with him years before, which yes. didn't really come out in the movie. Did not come out in the movie. We, I think we mentioned it. Really? I think we mentioned. Are you talking about the Fetterman Brady Act? Yeah. Yeah. That you were. You guys. Well, were this a- was like because I've always been into music. Mm-hmm. We kind of came up with this act where we would pretend to be. This was the idea of the act mm-hmm. that we would pretend to be a pop rock, famous pop rock duo mm-hmm. that everyone knew. 
and that had broken up and gotten back together. And we're going to play some of our hits. And then we would turn to the audience and go, what was your favorite hit of any album? The first album, Songs <laughs> of the Deli, whatever album. And people would just yell out anything and then we'd right. improv a song. Oh, like that okay. was the yeah. like, that was the whole thing. That's a perfect... Yeah, it's a perfect yeah. bit. Thank you. Thank you. So we would do that. And, uh, you know, it went pretty well. And then mm -hmm. we kind of, we, we actually got on MTV and Evening at the Improv doing that. Oh, wow. I know. That's comedy boom, baby. That's yeah. comedy, that's, <laughs> that that's is when comedy boom. You could have, like, some weird premise, and all of a sudden you're on these, these TV shows. Yeah, there was a... Uh, HBO used to play all of the young comedian specials. Uh-huh all the time to fill yeah. hours and there's some of them where they have these acts like one was called the funny boys I think. yeah i know those. Like, i know both those guys <laughs> i know both <laughs> i was like what like, first of all they were not i don't they're not a novelty act they were a very funny act they were very but but time when you look back on it, you're like wait what is this <laughs> i love funny years guys. later schmock and Valley. Yeah, yeah 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 i remember them they were in the sitcom double trouble anyway yeah uh, and and schmock is in um Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. Come on. But I'm not here to talk about them. We can. I'm <laughs> a, again, I'm a comedy nerd. I know all of these guys. How how were... You know, in I Am Road Comic, you get to see what life is still like on the road. Right? How, 2000, whatever, 13? That 13? was 2013. It yeah. came out in 2014. Yeah. You say 20. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And yeah. I noticed you, you do discuss I'm this on the Chronicles <laughs> of Fetterman. <laughs> I, I did say 2000, and then I heard people saying, well, what you say 19. Right. So no you question. say 20. Right. No question. Uh, did, it, did it surprise you that road gigs could still be quite so not glamorous? Not at all. 30 years later? Not at all. I've, I've been in worse road gigs than that one. That was not particular. I mean, yes, the fact that there was the Jello wrestling next mm -hmm. door and all of that. Yeah, that was a little weird, but... I've been way worse, way worse than that. Just like they wouldn't even put you up to put you in a condo. Right. There was one where I in Palm Desert, not Palm Springs, where they had me in a condo. I opened the door and a dog, a Doberman, attacked me. <laughs> I was like, "Once I was like, oh, we forgot to tell you. Yeah, don't show up before five o'clock because that's when my wife picks up the dog." I'm like. <laughs> I mean, it's like, come on, come on. I mean, just, yeah, just, just, oh, just awful. Take a bus to get, yeah, I flew to that gig. I've taken buses to gigs. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the opener. Yes, the opener did take, did a, take, bu take yes, a bus. Yes, he did take a bus. Across the oh, state. Oh, interesting thing about the opener. I can't think of his name right now. Um, well, this is terrible. But uh, I saw somewhere that he was recording his first comedy album like mm -hmm. two weeks ago. Oh, it's progress. No, the, the both of us have our first albums coming <laughs> oh, out. Yeah. Oh, you see it more as uh, <laughs> <laughs> like this guy, local comedian from Portland or wherever or uh, Seattle. Right. <laughs> like we but we both have the same amount of albums. Well, it's just so much easier. Yeah, technology to put out. It's very easy. It's very easy. I mean, the fact that we're talking into microphones, into a device, and I can plug this into a computer, and people can listen to it. Without any, I know, middleman or middlewoman no, getting involved, it's phenomenal. 
It's phenomenal. We're in a comedy boom. You know yeah. that. That's oh, my. I've been telling people that for you three have. or four years. When do you think it started? Because I'm as a comedy historian. Well, I think it's the bo- well the boom times were probably started around 2010. But but the boom itself was starting. Yeah, I know. But when would you the say the wave? It was it was building. The wave the started to build. No. Oh. We're in the we're in the uh we're in the box office of his box office. Yeah, of the I film think, forum. I think the wave I think the wave started started to show signs around two thousand five. No, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, when did the comedy boom start? Do you think there was a date? do you? I don't know. It might have been the the date that I started the comics comic dot com. I don't know. I mean, is it is it Mark Marin's podcast? Like when he first did the that's one? his boom. No, no, no. But I'm saying the one where where is it? Where is it? Doug Benson, you know, or is it? Well, I like was I was saying those... I was saying 2005 to go back to Dane Cook. Oh, MySpace in it? Yeah, yeah. When his when his album debuted in the top five oh, on the yeah. overall Billboard charts. But I that was a sign. Th- I think that, that was, was the first. Sign. That was the first sign that things were were starting were to get changing. Yeah, yeah. But then when it actually when, it, when everybody felt the boom, that's a few years later. Yeah, because I I wrote this article about history of comedy a little bit. I read it. And oh, thank you. And I mean, you didn't pitch it to me, but I read it. I would. I didn't even know. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, I don't know. I do feel like when I saw there was two mm-hmm. comedy festivals in Iowa, I was like, okay, guys, we're in a comedy boom. <laughs> and I think one of the yeah. things that drives it is not only the podcasting, what we're doing right now, but is the comedians tour. Like that, I am like, we'll go. You get people, get 500 people that want to see us. No. We will go anywhere in the country. I guess for a band, it's not, you can't, an actor, you can't quite. Comedian will go easily. We don't, no problem. Yeah, I think I think the combination of podcasting and people realizing they could start a festival in their city, believable. They're everywhere. There was a moment when I there's I start, almost I start, one every week now. I started to I started to try to compile a list, and I realized oh, every city it does. Tell me, there, I did, I haven't I still haven't done yet because they keep sh- they keep making more. Yeah, Montana, like Maui, yeah. I knew I knew it was I knew it was boom times a, a couple of years ago, 2013. Right. When there were three different things competing with Just for Last Montreal. Right. <laughs> when even the thing that yeah. everybody in the industry is supposed to go to, yeah. they're like, oh well, there's Comic Con, there's a thing over in Ireland. Right. Yeah, there's something called the Fun Fest. Do you know about this thing in Austin? There's well, there's at least four different comedy festivals in Austin. There is. Yeah, because there's the Fun 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 Fest. Okay, that's what it there's is. South by Southwest has a big comedy element. There's Moon Tower. Which yeah. started, and then there's another one. Right. That's what, guys, we're in it. For you young comedians, get in. No, this you're is, too late. You're too late. You're not too late. You're, <laughs> you're not too late. late. I, I'm Go encur- back. Turn back. I'm encouraging you. Become a doctor. Sean is not. We need a- doctors. Our healthcare system is broken. We need doctors. Get in. Get in. This is the third comedy boom. Everyone forgets the first one. <laughs> Which is the records. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I came in during the club one. It was hard, but I did it. <laughs> there, is, there is footage of you uh, oh, no. as a young man talking to Bob Hope. 
Yes. Did you? Comedian Bob Hope. Comedian. How would Legend you describe? How would you describe him to young comedian who has never heard of him? How would you describe Bob Hope? Uh, he was the Johnny. No, <laughs> people wouldn't know Johnny Carson. Uh, he was. Uh, he was America's entertainer. He was America's comedian, which we don't even have anymore. Well, I say entertainer. He was America's yeah. entertainer. I feel like he was more well. I feel like he was more American comedian because he wasn't known for his songs or anything. But as a kid, I didn't think he was funny. Of course, but America so. did. Those specials would get huge ratings, right. and he was like the king, you know, the comedian. So now it's comedic comedy is way too diversified, right? You know that you you Maria Bamford could be your favorite comedian. I don't mean that in a bad way. I love her, but um, so she anyway, employed yes. you in her special, special, special. Oh my god! Uh, you know we're. I, I was so delighted to be involved with that thing. I can't even tell you. How did you get involved? She with asked it? me, and uh-huh. um, I mean, because that's an took, exclusive. I took. Gig. I took like There's you, uh, her eighth, parents, an eighth of a second to say yes to mm-hmm. that. I I think the world of her. I love that she can that she that we live in a world where we make comedy accessible to somebody like that to do. Because when I look back at like. What Joan Rivers had to do in the 60s to break through on any level. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think Maria Bamford would have been able to traverse that, those levels of obstacles, you know, because she's so sensitive and she's, you know, and that I, I just adore her. Yeah. Adore. What was it like to watch that special it was live? It was unbelievable. And like I said, the special works on so many, the special, 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 right. works on so many levels because. She is, yes, she's doing it, uh, performing for her parents and all of that and directly, almost into the camera. But in a way, a lot of comedians are performing for their parents indirectly. Yeah. You know? So I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> this is really good. I love the way her mind works. I was just thrilled to be part of it. What have your parents thought of your career? That's a good. Not. I don't come from a supportive family, so let's put it that way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, well, what about your your comedy father, Bob Hope? <laughs> Bob Hope liked <laughs> let's me. Let's bring it back to Bob, Bob Hope. Bob Hope liked me. Yeah, that was a. Um, a an why afternoon. were you? Yeah, why were you meeting him? This was I was in college. Remember, mm-hmm. we were talking one time at NYU. Right. And uh, the word came out that Bob Hope was doing this interview and wanted young comedians in the audience that he could kind of talk to or take questions from. Okay. This is like 1979 or eight, something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe fall of 79, eight, uh, was my guess. So I went up there and I, you know, I insult, I made like a little insult. That's You only see him insulting me back, right. but like making fun of what I'm wearing. But I like kind of did like a little jab that he loved. And that was it. But here's the interesting thing. Also else, also in that crowd that day, Carol Leifer, who I don't know if you know her, mm-hmm. um, a comedian and now writer, Jerry Seinfeld, you may have remembered him. Had I a think I have seen the footage of, of him also. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I discovered that tape. I found that tape. Oh, wow. And then, um, and then if I'm not mistaken, one of the Funny Boys, Schmack and Valley. Mm. This is the Funny Boys episode. <laughs> That's the name of this. Please write that down. <laughs> yeah. So it was, but I didn't know any of those mm-hmm. guys. I had never, I don't think I had heard of Jerry Seinfeld at that time. In fact, I know I hadn't. 
I'd never heard of him. So do you need me to tell you about? No, and uh, now I know who he is. <laughs> now who is? So, so thirty years later, when you're touring the country with a young Jimmy Fallon, yes, uh, barnstorming America to get America. Yeah, were Jimmy. You, get were you Jimmy. getting Jimmy ready for the show, yes. or getting America ready getting to love Jimmy? Jimmy? Re- getting Jimmy ready for the show. What was that experience like? I I remember seeing you guys perform in Chicago. Yeah, you were there for the just for La- that was yes. for just for Laugh Chicago. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's when I we hung out with Mulaney a little bit that time. Um, I it was it was great. He's so easy to write for because. He has so many comedy skills in in his hand that he mm-hmm. can do at any moment, impressions and sing and act outs and be charming and yeah. It's so there was nothing he couldn't do, and we started out. He was opening for me. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that he because they would put him on the road with people, but yeah, he would be like unbilled. Yes, yeah. It was a spe- but eventually they it, didn't it, want. It, People to come expecting Jimmy Fallon. Right. They so what basically like was it was come see Wayne Federmore's special guest Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy would come out, do started out just being able to do like twelve minutes. Mm-hmm. Then I would do like forty minutes, and then he and I would come back at the end and do some stuff together musically. Right. So uh, because everyone was coming to see special guest Jimmy Fallon, <laughs> not Wayne. Fer- <laughs> so eventually, we developed enough material. We flipped it, and I went back to opening. Mm-hmm. That's when you saw me in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, but it was great. And just can I just stepping yeah, sure. back? Just I will say, as the fifteen-year-old ventriloquist in Plantation, Florida, in my room practicing one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, doing that whole thing, I can't. It was beyond my imagination. Like I had big crazy absurdly big dreams for show business but it never ever crossed my mind that the host of nbc's tonight show would at one point be my opening act yeah it's just it's not something that you even couldn't even you couldn't even imagine that is was could even be possible yeah it's not something yeah. <laughs> because you're not thinking of that far. You're not thinking. Oh, I couldn't even think. Well, first of all, you're not thinking that much past Johnny Carson. Right. Because yeah. and if you were, you're, you're thinking, thinking to, about getting on Johnny Carson or being the next Johnny Carson, right. but never like. So that's phenomenal. I'm very lucky. What has been the best advice to help you have such staying power in this business? I don't know. Has advice? Yeah, that, that well, people I'll tell have you given one th- you. I'll tell you one thing. Like Seinfeld did give me some – two people gave me some great advice. Okay. Seinfeld was the biggest. Mm-hmm. And he said it's crucial that you don't compare yourself to other comedians because you can't win. I mean, obviously he did. <laughs> so, But he <laughs> says you can't win because you're the only you and that's all you can do and just – Concentrate on that. Don't anytime you're wasting comparing yourself or being jealous. He goes and he goes. I know it's impossible. I know what I'm saying is impossible. But try not to. Like try to be happy for other people's success and concentrate on your thing. Like do it. And I always thought that was great, great advice because I've seen so many embittered and bittered. I don't know the difference between embittered and bittered, but they're both bad comedians that are just like they can't be happy for anyone else. 
they, unless they're doing it, they don't, you know, they don't. So it's, that was like my favorite thing. And that really helped me just like, oh, I'm just going to do my thing and we'll see what happens. And then Leno, I don't, I know he didn't probably come up with this advice, but mm -hmm. it's so profound and helped me a lot, which was four words. Don't complain. Don't explain. Like whatever, just don't like, just do your thing and do it. And the more I, that that's helped me also. Like, don't complain. Like, so many people complained. Oh, the lighting was wrong. This was uh, this is why I didn't do well. This is <laughs> like there's a million, ex you know. Right. Like, just do it. The crowd is bad. The Whatever. There's a million things to complain about. Yeah. I, my management sucks. You know this. You know the the album came isn't isn't on Amazon the way I want it to be. Like, don't complain. Don't explain. It's on Spotify. It is. <laughs> It is. Right. It's back on Amazon. It's back <laughs> on Amazon. But what do you think of that advice? That's pretty good, right? It is pretty good. What What would you tell this new comedian who oh. you're who you're, you're I'm encouraging you're encouraging to yes, be part yes. of the boom? Yes, yes. Spread the young, love, young more. man or woman or yes. transitioning between the two, whatever's going on. Or these artificial days. intelligence. Yes, comedian. yes, it could be. I can't wait. That's gonna happen. They do have. Uh, who was it? Who was telling me? That even a comedy robot would acknowledge that this is a joke. Oh, it would be meta. Yeah. yeah, that would be good. Uh, what would you tell the new, the new wannabe comedian? What would be the first thing? The first thing you would tell them? Well, my first thing is, I don't know because my my go to advice mm -hmm. for all this year, like who cares what I say anyway? But it's always been get up on stage as much as possible in front of strangers. Just that stage time, like that's the most. There's nothing else more important. But now I feel like there's comedians that don't want to be on stage in front of people and just could do it from their home and create their own kind of comedy world that way. Might I mean, obviously, Bo Be a vine, a vine star. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or what? So I don't, I don't got even, a hot six seconds. I'm saying if you want to be a stand-up comedian mm -hmm. in a crowd, that would be my number one advice. But And the other thing is I think this is going to be philosophical and sound pretentious, but, like, when I started out, I, like – I really thought like people like Carlin and Pryor and even Bob Hope before them and you know that they kind of like owned comedy like they but no one does hmm. like no one owns it like you get you may get some of it you may get Bill Burr may have it for a while you know or whatever right. but it's like no one like it's constantly morphing and changing and you you just don't know there's a guy I don't know if you've seen Nate Bargatze yeah yeah it's just phenomenal. He's like he's so. Great, he's, great. he's really just. He's got a great little. Is that it? The whole thing is just wonderful. It's just like that's the thing. Like nobody owns comedy, and you think at the beginning you're like, oh, Louis C.K. Yeah, he's running this thing. He's the biggest comedian in the world. But yeah, he is for now. You know, for now. I don't mean it in like I want him to fail, but right. I'm just saying like that's just the nature of it. That was. There's not only. It's not like Highlander. There's not only one. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> terrible advice. That's terrible. I just want to try to inspire you to like you can do your own thing. Well, I mean, the Chronicles of Fetterman <laughs> prove. What does it prove? That you can ha you can have a career. You ha you've been doing this right for over thirty years. No question, it's right there. Performing in clubs, making people laugh, houses, theaters. You go through the whole list. You have mm -hmm. to take a breath. 
<laughs> to go through the whole list of venues you what played. What did you think of those? This is just a person, because I, I haven't spoken to that many people who have listened to it. Mm. What did you think of those intros? Did you think that helped kind of create, or was it just like, well, can we just get to the comedy already? I liked it especially for, th- for this, mm-hmm. because you're presenting so many different forms of comedy right? that it's good to have. It's it's like having the DVD commentary. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's yeah. but it's preset for that. Yeah, so you're okay. like, oh, okay. Okay, so you're, oh, you're endorsing it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I don't know. I, I think you have to listen to it. You can't skip can't skip the opening track. Oh, wow. It sets the, it sets the context. One of the things that, <laughs> that comedy needs is context. Oh. You can't just have, especially topical things, you can't have. Right. Because they don't age well without. I con- know. You need to set up. A little. The context for it. I hope so. I mean, I, I remember I do. I go, you have to know that Dokken was a rock and roll band. <laughs> that, was, that was funny. <laughs> Stupid. Stupid. Um, well, but thank you. Thank you. I didn't, I mean, I, you know, just because you have, what, what is the word? Fresh ears. You know, you're hearing it just. You, you yeah, have my no eyes are old, but I have fresh yeah, ears. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yes, you're, you can barely see me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right over here. McCarthy, McCarthy. <laughs> but I can hear you loud and clear, yeah, Wayne yeah, Fetterman. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you spent some time with me. I love it. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. We did it here in New York. We did it. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.